The last week we started uh, in a book called Philippians. You probably remember that. And we haven't made it too far. We're still in chapter 1. Last week we went through verses 1 through 11. And this week we're going to go through verses 12 uh, through 30. But it's an incredible book. It's, it's full of truth. Uh, transformational truth, scriptures that you, uh, well-known scriptures that you probably know. Uh, For those of you that like short books, there's no pictures in it, but it's short. It's only four chapters long. Anybody like short books with big print besides me? Uh, Nobody. Okay, I'm the only one, but I do. And it's a short book. It's an epistle uh, written by Paul to the church of Philippi. And Paul wrote this letter to to, to get them uh, on board with sharing the gospel, he got them. Uh, he wrote it to encourage them. He wrote this uh, this this letter to them to challenge them. And we know that it did not come at expense. Paul was persecuted greatly uh, for his uh, his his full on uh, going after sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody that would want to hear it. We know that Paul had an incredible experience, a life changing experience uh, in Acts nine. But if you read the chapter right before it in Acts eight. It talks about what Saul was actually doing. And let me share that with you. It says, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with the church. In Acts 9, bam, Jesus encountered him on this Damascus Road experience. And his life was changed forever. And he went from one of the greatest persecutors of the church to one of the greatest pioneers of the church and wrote almost well over half of the New Testament that you read that you read today. Incredible story. Absolutely incredible story. And what it tells me is just one encounter with God, one encounter with the living Christ, it can change your life in a moment from the craziest of guys persecuting, persecuting the church. Last week, remember, he came out sharing, man, I'm so thankful for you, Church of, of, of Philippi. And he also shared some encouraging things. He shared a prayer with them. He said in Philippians 1.6, remember the verse? He who began a good work in you, he will what? He'll be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. He encouraged the church, hey, be, be great at loving one another. Grow in depth. Grow in knowledge. Grow in your love. Grow in your discernment. And then if I was to sum up Philippians 12 through 30, he, he, he reminds the church, do everything you can to live for Christ. Don't ever forget your first love. Don't ever forget what Jesus has done for you. And I want to jump in and read it in verses 12 through 18, and we'll do our best to get up to verse 30. We might not because of time, but let's just start in uh, Philippians 1, verse 12. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? He, he's in prison right now. I mean, he's in a bad place. Uh, And he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm in a trial. I'm in a tough spot. It's all for Jesus. And guess what? Everybody knows about it. It's what he's saying. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim, proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter uh, do so out of love, knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel. Uh, The former preach Christ out of selfless ambition, not uh, sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Verse 18, but what does it matter? 
all this stuff that's going on, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, I want Christ to be preached. It's the greatest story ever told. And because of this, I, I rejoice. Anybody ever have someone in your life that finds the bright side of everything? Like it could be the worst of the worst. The rain is coming down on Fall Fest night, right? And I'm looking out the window thinking, this is awful. It's going to be me and the staff and food trucks, right? That's my first thought. Nobody's showing up to this thing. And then there's some that see the bright side of it. Well, just hold off. It's going to be sunny. People are going to show up. And you have those people in your life that are just, they see the rosy side of everything. And sometimes you just want people to side with you, right? And say, no, things are bad. A lot of us in here say it how we see it and say it how we think it, right? Well, Paul is in a place where he is just, he's, you would think he would be struggling. He's in prison. I mean, he, he, he's, he's being persecuted for sharing Jesus to anybody uh, that will listen. And Paul says in the midst of it all, he has a little bit of a rosy perspective. He says, I rejoice in the midst of this. How in the world can someone rejoice in prison Someone rejoiced by being persecuted, and the reason why that he says is he's like, because the gospel's being preached, because people are hearing about Jesus. What did he say? He said, people are preaching more boldly than ever before. If I have to be in chains for that to happen, so be it. And Paul shares this incredible truth, and he, he really shares with us that no matter what comes my way, uh, my eyes are going to be fixed on Christ. And I'm going to live in Christ. We told you to read 2 Corinthians 11 if you get a chance. You can read the laundry list of things that Paul went through after he came to be a believer of Jesus. And the list is long. And if any one of those things would happen to us today as Christ followers, we'd be like, I'm not sure this is worth it. I'm not going to keep going to prison time after time after time. But Paul was at that place. And we see a guy process literally everything that comes his way. Not through his little finite way of thinking. He doesn't think about it in his own way of reasoning because it's always at fault. But he views everything through God's perspective, through God's lens. He trusts God even in the midst of, of, of such horrific circumstances. The question for us today as I read this chapter is, is how, do, how do you process that stuff? When stuff comes your way, is it, do, you, do you view it through God's lens and through God's perspective or your own, do you see, man, this is awful. There's no way this is ever going to turn out for anybody's good. Or do you see it as in a way that, you know what, I see God in the midst of this. Or maybe God has something to teach me in the midst of this. Or God, I could see all the ways that you could be at work in this and through me and through this situation. We all respond in a different way to trials, to setbacks, to heartache in life. And I can tell you when it was raining Friday night, my response was not of Paul's response. It was ugly. And we all find ourselves at that, <clears throat> at that place in our lives. And you, how many of you have watched before where two, peop, two different people can be going through literally the exact same experience in their life and yet have two totally different perspectives as they go through it? Uh, one will see all the, all the obstacles, all the tough stuff. And the other person will see God's hand in the midst of everything. I want to share a few things with you of, of what it kind of looks like, just to unpack it for a second. Of, and I find myself, this is like for me, class 101, because I need to learn this, that I can run into so many things and I, I look at it through my own lens instead of God's lens. 
And when I do that, I see all the obstacles. When I look through my own lens, I see all the obstacles. There's no way because of this. Uh, the timing's wrong. Uh, you're not aligning things in such a way. Instead of seeing it through God's perspective, that you know what? All things are possible through, through, through Christ Jesus. Instead of seeing it through, through God's perspective to, to come to a place in our life and, and, and realize, you know what? I'm going to see this obstacle as an opportunity. That, that I know I can't do it on my own. That's a given. Anytime I do it on my own, I blow it. But with Christ, uh, he can carry it to completion. If God's called me to it, I'm going to trust him in the midst of it. Sometimes when we look through our own lens, you've ever found yourself being here, uh, where you just kind of, we play the victim card. I'm a victim. Uh, it's because of my parents, because of the, the hand of cards that got dealt to me, uh, experiences that have come my way, and I'm not undermining experiences that we never chose and they come your way. But we can play the, the victim card instead of saying, no, 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 I am more than enough in Christ Jesus. When we look through God's lens and we begin to see, I, I am victorious in Christ Jesus. That was, Paul's, that was Paul's perspective, that when something was to come his way and hit a rough patch in life, he looked through the lens of Scripture and he looked through God's perspective the best, the best, that, he, the best that he could. When we look through our own lens, how many of you ever, either yourself or know someone that's gotten completely mad at God? God, if you love me or if you love them, there's no way in the world a loving God would ever let that happen to me or, or to the person that I love. And we can vocalize, we can vocalize that instead of saying, man, God, uh, I'm not going to look to change you in the midst of my circumstances, but I'm going to look to trust you in the midst of my circumstances. When life comes our way, that's when the test comes our way. Paul, was he being tested? That's an understatement. He was being tested to, to truly the, the greatest degree. And it's why the Bible often talks about this battle that's going on in the mind. In Romans 12, 2, you've heard the passage a thousand times. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't look like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the more we as Christ followers, as Paul understood, get to know truth, this is truth, get to know about the things of God, what does it say the truth will do for us in Scripture? The truth will what? The truth will set us free. And we will have a perspective as we walk through life that is not about, man, look at the obstacles. I'm a victim. This is awful. My trials, these tests, everybody's against me. No, 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 no. God is at work in the midst of this. God is doing a work in and through me in the midst of this. And Paul is trying to get the Philippians to understand and, and truly us to understand that, man, when stuff comes our way, we can either look at it through our perspective or we can look at it through God's. And when we look at it through God's, we find more than often we could stand up and share testimony after testimony this morning of when you've gone through painful experiences and God used that for a purpose in your life. And I want to share a few of those purposes with you as we, we plow through the rest of this area in Philippians. There's times that, that and Paul experienced that, that God will use pain in our life. He will use trials in our life to grow us, to grow us spiritually. Remember uh, uh, this last year we went through the book of James and James, uh, we don't usually introduce ourselves this way, but he said, hi, I'm James, in his book at the very first verse. And then in verse 2, here's what he says right after it. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. 
uh, hi, I'm James. Just consider it pure joy when, it, when life comes at you. How many of you consider it pure joy when life, well, every day it's just like a drip? Something just keeps coming your way, and it's trial after trial. But James says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, do we revel? Do we love the actual trial that we're going through? No, 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 no. But you know why we can have joy in the midst of it? It's because we know we have a perfect Father in heaven that is growing us spiritually, that is growing us in perseverance so that we can grow in our walk spiritually with him. Some of you are in Mike's Hebrews class, and one of the verses in Hebrews you may go over later is, is Hebrews 12, 7, endure hardships as discipline. And then he goes on in Hebrews 12, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. How many of your kids love, love, love discipline? Any of them? No, nobody does. We even as adults, we don't love it, uh, but it's painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We will experience trials, pain, setbacks in life that will grow us, I would say almost all the time, that will grow us spiritually, that will teach us to persevere persevere. Sometimes we'll experience pain and hardship in our life so that it's a wake-up call to get rid of sin in our life. Because of choices, we find ourselves in a tough spot, maybe a spot that uh, we, we kind of walk down the road and led ourselves to that spot. Well, Second Peter, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, it says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, and as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's what God, that's the end game. He wants us to live for the will of God. The process by which we get there sometimes is tough. We talked about it last week that the, 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 the growth through sanctification is not just always in the easy way. There's often trials. There's often uh, setbacks. Uh, we're called to trust in the midst of those tough times. And we serve a God that loves us so much, I don't think it's his favorite way to get us to get rid of sin, is by discipline and, and, and us going through some pretty rocky things. But just as you love your child way too much to not discipline and see them get hurt, don't you think your Father God in heaven loves you that much more? That he's okay to allow you to go through some, some tough stuff so that we can be shaped, so that we can be uh, grown uh, in our walk through, through sometimes pain. We serve a God that uh, is way more concerned about our earthly home than our temporary happiness here on this earth. We talked about last week of living our lives, and even the, the last week of the last series, living our lives with a, with a heavenly perspective. And so often, remember the big long rope we had up here? We live for that tiny little spot on the rope called our lives that's here today and gone tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles. You ever feel like your troubles, they're not, they're not momentary. Uh, even if it lasts a day, it's the longest day. Uh, they, but the Bible says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We serve a God that will use pain in our lives to grow us spiritually we serve a God that will use pain in our life to draw us closer to Jesus. Uh, we serve a God that, that will at times use 
pain in our life and give purpose to it so that we can glorify God through the midst of it. Uh, and, and I don't want to minimize any pain in this room. If we were to share testimonies, you would be blown away by what some of the people in this, just this room today have gone through. And you would stand up and say, you hope nobody in this room ever would have to go through what you went through. We have just as many people in this room that would stand up and say, in that moment, my heart was broken, it was crushed, but God began to put the pieces of my heart back together. And through this process, maybe it's through the gift of time, he's restored you, and he's restored you back to him. And you would say, now you've come out on the other side because we serve and you serve a God that loves you that, that loves you that much. You know, one of the things that's so tough about God using our pain for ultimately hit Him getting glory is it is it's tough at times because when you're in it, it, it just it just it just stinks. You're in the midst of pain and suffering. You you have to have moments where you just want to give up, uh, where you where God will show up at the twelfth hour. You know, anybody ever had that? And you prayed and prayed and prayed. You've given up hope, and finally He showed up. And then there's others in this room that you prayed and He didn't show up. Until after the fact. And you thought, man, if he just would if you just would have showed up, God, and you get mad at him because you wish you would have showed up here and you waited a few days. There's a story in the Bible that talks about that. Remember Jesus and his friend, his friend Lazarus? Uh, he got word that he was sick, and, and, and Jesus was at a place where he didn't he didn't take off, you know, buzzing to the to find Lazarus in an ambulance in the Uber car the quickest he could get there. He waited a couple days. And then we even find out as, as, as he waited a couple of days, it was actually almost four days before he showed up on the scene. Uh, Mary and Martha, they're, they're not happy about it. Where have, in the world have you been? And he shared even before he went, uh, I'm doing this because God's going to get glory through it, right? And we know that he did show up on the scene soon after, and, and, uh, and Lazarus had a pretty happy ending to this story. And you know what it tells me about God? And I, I, have, I struggle with this. And maybe you do as well. But our God in, he- in heaven, his timing is perfect. And I, I struggle with that because so often I could point to things in my life and I'm thinking, from my earthly flesh, your timing on that one, it was not perfect. But one of the things that the Bible talks about is that his timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We can only see things at times through, through sometimes just right what's in front of us. But our God, he sees, the whole, he sees the whole picture. And it's why Paul says in Philippians 1, you know what? No matter how bad it is right now, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to rejoice. And he says, and because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision that the spirit of Jesus Christ has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It's going to turn out good. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I'm hoping, I'm trusting. It doesn't look good now. I'm behind bars. But I believe in my God, and I believe in his promises, and I believe at some point he's going to deliver me. He believed I serve a God that's going to work all things together for my good and for God's glory. Paul was trusting in his Father, in his Father God. And Paul said, you know what, if this is what it has to be for other people to come to Christ, then so be it. 
And sometimes we go through pain and suffering, and it has nothing to do with us. But it's so for someone else to come to Jesus through our pain and through our suffering and through our testimony and through our story. Paul was at that place, or you can read it in verse 14 as you want to later. But Paul wraps this up in Philippians 1, 20 through 26. And this is one of the famous verses that once we read it, you'll be like, I've heard that before. But let me share it. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or whether in death. He's going to get exalted. It doesn't matter what happens. For me, he says, this is his life motto, to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I'm going to still serve Jesus. If I'm still here on this earth, I'll serve him till I go. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part. I desire to be with Christ in heaven, uh, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That's what he's telling the church. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I'd rather go to heaven. It'd be a whole lot easier if I would just go be with Jesus in this moment. But for me, what's his motto? To live as Christ and to die is gain. Not for me to live is to have a good family. It's nice. For me to live, have a good job. For me to live, to be comfortable. Uh, For me to live, you fill in the blank with whatever we chase after here on this earth. No, he says, for me, doesn't matter what comes my way, good, bad, ugly, for me in any moment of life to live is Christ. But if I die, it's going to be gain. Because I'm going to go home and I'm going to be with my Savior Jesus in heaven. What if that was your life mission statement? For me, life's tough at times, I know. Life's really good at times, but for me to live as Christ, for me to live on this earth, for me to live with others, for me to do anything, for me to live, number one in my life is Christ. How in the world would that change you and I's thinking if that was our mission statement for our lives? For me to live is Christ. We in America, we have a lot, but what that lends to is us living for literally all the wrong things. And you know what the invitation from Jesus to us has been since he went to the cross for us? Hey, come follow me and die to self so that you can have true life. For so many of us and TV preachers and you name it, it's, 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 it's come follow him and life's going to be better. I think it will be better because you're going to experience freedom in Christ. But what the call's been, hey, come follow me. Die to yourself. And you will experience life. My last scripture, we're going to take Holy Communion together, is in Matthew 16, verse 24. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I love how you, you read the Gospels. Jesus is using every moment as a teachable moment to point people and reveal who the Father is. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? You can literally have it all, yet forfeit 
their soul. The call for us today and the call for the church today is what Paul shares in Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live, church, is Christ, and for us to die is gain. That will ignite, if that's truly your life mission and your motto, it will ignite your faith like never before. Another thing it will call you to do is, is to make some changes in your life. And for those in this room that would say, I'm not sure if I'm even a Jesus follower, may today be the day of salvation. To where Philippians 1 verse 21 is not just a good sermon verse or a good refrigerator magnet verse, but it is going to be your now life story. For me to live is Christ. And as we take Holy Communion, the altars will be open. And we encourage you today, if you're at that place and the Holy Spirit is at the door knocking, saying, hey, will you let me come in? Will you let me be the Lord of your life? I encourage you to open the door. I encourage you to open the door. For some of us in here today, as you think about uh, your life, maybe, maybe you're holding on to some things or things that before communion, one of the greatest things you can do is confess some sin. To, to, to get to a place where it's, it's just living for Christ. It's not living for Christ, plus there's a bag I'm dragging along of sin. It's not living for Christ, plus I still want these things back here. No, it's, it's, it's living for Christ. And as we go into Holy Communion, take some moments to reflect, to reflect on that. And you know, I think there could be some in here, I'm at this place at times, where you just fear and you struggle with what's coming next because you don't know. And there's a fear of, God, I, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm stepping into. Hand that over to him. And just as Paul did, uh, say, God, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust in you today. I draw a line in the sand on 10-7-2018 and say, God, you're it. Let me pray as the ushers prepare for communion and we prepare to take together. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. God, I, I know deep down that every single person in this room, their, their heart's yearning, their heart's desire is Philippians 1.21 for that to be their mission statement for life. To live is Christ. God, I pray that daily you would begin to renew our mind. You would rid those things in life that we chase after that are not of you so that we can say with a pure heart to live as Christ. And to die is gain. God, over these next few moments, I pray that you would use these uh, moments before communion as we reflect on the cross to meet us where we are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.